0: Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for revealing to us your grace and your love in time. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for saving us daily. These are the things that give us a calm assurance and that confident hope of things to come, Father. What a grace blessing it's been to see these things in your word. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the Word, our Lord and Savior, the Son whom you sent to die in our stead. For that we are most grateful and thankful, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. May it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the difficult passages, Believing Part 4, I believe this is the last part on believing. These should be relatively short, uh, anything short compared to 117 on the Gospel. Uh, But again, these are sort of patchwork items that uh, we had to glaze over uh, probably more quickly than some of us would have liked, Uh, and now the Spirit's got us going back and sort of filling in any gaps we might have. And the idea is that these are, you know, quote-unquote difficult because technically the Bible's not difficult. It's man that makes them difficult. And so we've been taking this tact to discover the ways in which man has perverted not just the gospel but the elements of the gospel, including things like believing, and uh, I believe the next one in the docket is probably going to be repentance. I want to begin with an analogy, though, um, Do you believe that people survive jumping out of planes all the time, right? I mean, do you believe that parachutes work? Most will say yes. Okay, then, well, let me ask you this. Why won't some people that believe that parachutes work actually jump out of a plane? The answer? Trust. If you believe a parachute works, Why not jump out of a plane? Trust. A person can believe something to be true, possibly even for others, but still not trust in it for their own salvation. That's been sort of the tact that the Spirit's been taking with this concept of believing. A person can believe something to be true, possibly for others, but still not trust in it for their own salvation. Let me state this a little differently Figuratively speaking, of course, everyone at some point is forced to jump out of the plane. Everyone, whether they like it or not, must make a decision on what to do. And by the way, even indecision isn't acceptable to God up here on the board. A matter of trust in terms of saving faith indecision regarding Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the same as the decision not to trust in Him. Again, in terms of saving faith, indecision regarding Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the same as the decision not to trust in Him. Neither one of those things result in saving faith. A lot of people we might come across will say something like, well, you know, just don't know what to believe. You ever heard that? You talk to them about Jesus Christ, you talk to them about God, and they say, you know, I get what you're saying, but I just just don't know what to believe. And oddly enough, that, my friends, is like the biggest invitation of all invitations regarding evangelism. That person is confused about what to believe if they are indeed being open and honest, of course, and not just pacifying or being kind to the evangelist. That person is confused about what to believe. What's ripe about this kind of situation is that this person seems to want to believe. So the question really isn't if. It's not if they believe. It's what. What do you believe? And that is a very good place to start. So Evangelism 101, this is really just a capture of so much of what the Spirit's been teaching us over the past year. The question we ought to be asking people is, what do you believe in? What? This came up on Tuesday as well. What do you believe in? Not merely, do you believe? There's a lot of people who say, when asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I do. Well, which, which Jesus is it, though? <laughs> is it the little J Jesus, the one that Paul wrote about to the Corinthians, the different Jesus from another gospel, another spirit, that Jesus? Or is it the Jesus Christ in the Bible, the one who says, I'm King of Kings, Lord of Lords, I'm Savior, I came to seek and to save. Is it that one? Or is it the little Jesus what do you believe? Most professing Christians will answer yes to the second question, do you believe? <clears throat> However, they are confused, misinformed, sometimes willfully rebellious regarding Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. So it's about what do you believe? Go to Matthew 7:13, <clears throat> Matthew 7:13. This is evangelism 101. I think we need to stop asking, do you believe, and, uh, and start asking, what do you believe in, or who do you believe in? What is it that you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? <clears throat> sure, I believe in Jesus. I know he's in the Bible. You know, even history books have them. But are you saved? I mean, does this person have saving faith just because they believe that jesus christ existed that jesus christ was probably who he said he was but this is person has this person received saving faith if they haven't surrendered to jesus christ personally well that's a big difference matthew 7 13 hence jesus's own words enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Up here on the board, the gate and the way, excuse me, these are depicted by Jesus as two different elements of saving faith. The way and the gate, both are narrow, neither is wide. Today's so-called Quote, grace gospel, you notice I have a little G. This so-called grace gospel falsely portrays the gate as wide and possibly the, the way as narrow. This is satanic. Any gate or any gospel that proposes that the gate is wide is false. Sure, God loves us. He would love for all of us to be saved, but yet He also has righteous indignation. He also has justice that says, if you don't accept my son, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you you are not saved. I'm not going to give you because you're arrogant, and I'm opposed to the arrogant. So says scripture. "I I give grace to the humble. So if you don't accept my son for all of who he is and what he is, then you're not saved. But today's grace gospel waters the whole thing down and says, believe this little prayer right here, right in the back of your Bible, whatever. That's satanic. That's merely mental assent. What the Spirit's been saying in words is simple. Hear my word and believe in it. Not your own intuition, or for some of you, not even what you've been taught in the past. Place your trust... Not in man-made things, but in the things of God. For this is the true faith. Or this is what true faith comes from up here on the board. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Faith is given by God alone to those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the picture of what happens at the narrow gate. Even the way to it is narrow, as Jesus stated. And those are not my thoughts, of course, those are the Lord's. And just to compare these two different Gospels, scriptural grace... For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew 7.14 Today's false grace, the gate is big, many are saved, but the way is narrow, only a few saved will submit to the Lord. So the argument, theologically, ends up sliding to the right, if you would. The argument slides to the right. The true argument is about whether or not a person is saved, whether they're an unbeliever or a believer, and the narrow gate and the narrow way both point to this situation here. But the false gospel slides it to the right and says, Oh, you just have to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died, and this kind of a thing, and you know believe these things, hedge a good bet, hedge a good bet, and then later on you can accept all of him. No, he's literally standing at the gate. Remember, he's the great shepherd. He's the one who decides, who comes in and out of the, sheep, the, the fold, right? The sheepfold. he says, you accept me at the gate, or you accept none of me. It's me. I decide. You don't get to decide on me later on. So this is one of the things, the subtleties that the Spirit's been getting at up here on the board. The focal contest in the Bible is not whether or not believers are carnal or spiritual, rather it is whether or not a person is unsaved or saved. A false gospel places wrong emphasis on the prior, giving many a false hope from a faith that suggests a person is, quote, fully saved, optionally later. Remember I told you, being saved is something that God already has done for a believer in eternity past he saved you but the question always falls to the wayside most people believe that salvation is oh i'm saved i get to go to heaven what do i do like the rich man what do i do to get to go to heaven Well, say this thing and he'll save you from the lake of fire because don't you want to go to heaven instead of lake of fire absolutely i mean who doesn't want to do that even a little kid knows that that's so why I said on Sunday, Now, little kids, I don't I'm not buying it that little kids understand what repentance is. How could they? <clears throat> you have to understand how depraved you are in the first place. What well, little kid understands how depraved they are. They only know what we tell them. So the whole point is again up here on the board, a false gospel places wrong emphasis on the prior, giving many a false hope from a faith that suggests a person is fully saved optionally later. No, that's not how it works. From God's perspective, He saves you. Let's press on. You might ask yourselves, how does this happen? How does this false doctrine propagate in this world? Well, there's no one culprit here, but one is certainly the abundance of shepherds out there that aren't even really shepherds at all. I had someone write to me this af- as, as recent as this afternoon. I just, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen this person literally since my days in the service. Just found him on Facebook. I'm, I'm out there trying to get people to my page where they can see scripture and stuff. So I'm looking for everybody, right? <laughs> and they tell me, oh, this is, how great is that? I'm, I'm under a woman pastor. And I said to myself, well, the first thing is that that's impossible. Because there's no such thing as a woman pastor. Not a real one, anyways. She might have an office in a church. There might be a board of directors, even, that voted her in. But there's no such thing as a female pastor. So they're off the top right now. How many, many, what percentage of so-called shepherds are female nowadays? I don't know, but it's significant enough. Go to John 10.1. John 10.1 So, there's no one culprit here, how this thing happens, but we know that there's a lot of shepherds out there, a lot of people standing behind pulpits, I should say, that aren't even real shepherds. Jesus had something to say about that, too. John 10.1 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief, and a robber but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep you see in other words the great shepherd is the one who approves truly truly i say to you he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way he is a thief and a robber that person technically would be the person who refuses the fullness of christ himself the fullness of the gospel let's say I only want to teach things that that fill seats in my congregation. Go to Seekonk. Oh, you don't have to go very far. Go to Seekonk. They have a gay pride flag out front of a congregational church who's pastored, by the way, by a woman. What do we expect? That's a person who's climbing over the side. Do you understand? That's a thief and a robber. That person didn't go through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ would never ordain a female pastor. Certainly not gay pride. That's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. But you see, that stuff fills seats. Satan is brilliant. Just remember that. And one of the things that I keep that just keep coming up in my own studies is misdirection, misdirection, mr. Misdire- How did it start in the garden? What did he say? Did God really say, let me get you thinking about something else. You know what God said, but I can't, I can't make you fall that way. I've got to get you tempted in another way. Let me misdirect your line of thinking. Let me start asking you leading questions. You know, like a sleazy attorney, because Satan means attorney. So, like a sleazy attorney starts sucking, asking you the wrong question. Well, well, why not? Why not this thing? Did he really say that? Satan's brilliant at misdirection. Satan has done a masterful job of sowing misdirection, even from pulpits, resulting in folks asking the wrong questions. The question we ought to be asking folks is, what do you believe? Not do you believe. Everybody's going to, especially, come on, let's face it. Especially in mixed company, around here. Almost, you could almost say in the United States. What's a person supposed to say? Most people are going to say, yeah, I believe. But they don't even know what they believe. The focus of contemporary Christianity is wrong. The focus is to ask this question. Do you believe? Oh, yeah. All right, good. Not, what do you believe, by the way? What is it that you believe? Oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but what does that mean to you? Because I know how I feel about Christianity nowadays. It's in the pot. I don't even want to be called a Christian anymore. Why? Because I'm associated with all these morons. And nowhere in the Bible, by the way, does it say we have to be—we have to call ourselves Christians. Remember, it was a derisive term when it first came out in the first place. Even so, God is faithful, even to we shepherds who have faltered in the past, who ourselves were misled for a time. Go to Jeremiah three fifteen. Jeremiah three fifteen. This is serious business, folks. This is serious business. That's why I won't sit down. Pro- it's possible. Brenda says I might have walking pneumonia. I don't know. But I'm not gonna, I can't sit down right now. How am I going to sit down in the middle of believing? God will hold me up. I'll stand because God will make me stand. Amen? <laughs> People are like, amen. <laughs> Jeremiah 3.15. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. <coughs> excuse me. Who will feed you on knowledge and understanding? That's what he says. God is faithful. If you're seeking, what does the Bible say? You will what? Find. He's not going to leave you stranded. Practically speaking, when it comes to shepherds by the way, and this is me being totally honest with you, scripturally accurate Your job concerning any shepherd, especially this one, is simple. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I'm not asking for an answer. Somebody like, yeah. I I don't. This is between you and the Lord, right? Somebody just doing this, yeah, but you're like, no, not really. Do you that's the big question. Honest to goodness, that's the big question. Do you trust me? Do you believe that I am a true under shepherd? given as a gift to you all from the great shepherd himself. That's between you and the Lord. For if you don't, I say this with all integrity and all honesty and all love, if you don't believe that, then you need to leave here. A-S-A-P. Then leave, honestly. This reminds me of Paul's words to the Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians 4.1. 2 Corinthians 4.1. I can't think of a greater accusation against the shepherd who truly is a shepherd than for individuals to discount him being called by the great shepherd himself. So that really is the crux of the matter for all of you. 2 Corinthians 4 1, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I just did that with you. Do you trust me? That was me saying, what's your conscience say about the shepherd that's teaching you? Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose, God, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That's interesting, isn't it? We do not preach ourselves, but what? Christ as Savior? No. What do they preach? Christ as, what's it say? Lord. Christ as Lord. Not just some Savior. Lord and Savior. Lord appears a lot more than Savior, by the way, in Scripture when it is referring to salvation. But that's amazing given what's out on the street nowadays as a little g gospel. We do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts in true shepherds, true under-shepherds' hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Again, the point on the board is misdirection. Satan has done a masterful job of sowing misdirection, even from pulpits, resulting in folks asking the wrong questions. The questions we ought to be asking folks is, what do you believe, not do you believe? The focus of contemporary Christianity is wrong. A good under-shepherd is going to encourage you to ask these tough questions, especially regarding the gospel. For example, up here on the board, regarding the narrow gate and the narrow way, true believing in Jesus Christ carries with it trust in Him as Lord and Savior. He's a person after all, not just a bunch of facts, not just an office, or not just someone who fulfills these offices, so to speak. That trust never leaves a saved person, which is why, under the most extreme temptation, he has never lost one. Why? Simply put, a saved person is a changed person. Regarding our current topic of believing more on this, the wide gate and broad way, it's possible. Now, I need you to concentrate on this. It's possible to quote, believe in Jesus. We've seen this in Scripture. Believe in Jesus, his good name, his works, his resurrection, etc., and not be saved for one reason if that person has not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't get saved based on saying yes to a bunch of facts about a man, you accept him as Lord and Savior. That's very different. There's a trust issue in view. Not a trust in the facts. Even the demons believe. Not a trust in the facts. A trust in the person. Do you believe? Do you trust? Will you humbly accept that you are a sinner and you need a Savior? And you want a Lord. And you want the whole person. Jesus Christ. Not just the goodies bag that comes with saying a little prayer. Not just a little goodie bag that comes with so-called believing all this stuff about his offices. You see, it's possible then to believe in Jesus. You know, who was he? Oh, he was, you know, Jewish. You know, he, he went to the cross. You know, this, that. But I don't really want him. Because it's the same guy who says, I have to deny self. I have to give up myself. I have to surrender myself. I have to surrender the lordship that I'm currently in as an unbeliever so that I may take on another lordship. There's a trust issue based on humility, a quote counting the cost, as Jesus said, that precedes saving faith. In other words, this person has not received the fullness of God's grace. You might say, how does this work? I believe. All right, look, let me me give you this. This is a grace issue. This is the funniest thing. Because the people who have a watered down gospel will tell you they're grace oriented, that they understand grace, and it's impossible for you to be able to have to believe in a Lord and Savior. It's impossible. That's works. How can that possibly be grace? But if anything, it's anti grace, it's the antithesis of grace. It's saying that God is not able. To save and to sanctify and to submit somebody to Jesus as Lord. That sounds like a work of God. That sounds like something that has to be by the grace of God. So this is an issue of grace. So we have to bring in the concept of grace. Here's a good picture of grace. Efficacious grace. Grace is perfect. It never fails. It saves and sanctifies. It saves and subjects. It makes new. It changes. Its recipients bear fruit. They persist. They endure. They overcome. They submit and obey. Efficacious means effective, able to produce a desired result. That's that's efficacious grace. So here's the thing, folks, and this is the seriousness of this topic, because somehow in the process, grace was mutated. Grace was somehow perverted. And this is how we end up with a false gospel. One of the key reasons, again, on the board, grace is perfect it never fails it saves and sanctifies it saves and subjects it makes new it changes its recipients bear fruit they persist they endure they overcome they submit and obey efficacious means effective able to produce a desired result here's the thing folks you ready either you believe that or you don't either you believe what's on the board or you don't. Either you believe that God is able, or you don't. If you believe that He can save you, but His grace doesn't include a complete inward, born-again result, then you are believing the wrong gospel. Judas is a good example of a person who, quote, believed in Jesus in some spurious way, but wasn't saved. You might say, but what did he believe then? Well, I can only speculate, so I won't. Based on Scripture, I can only uh, speculate, but it appears that he believed in Jesus enough to follow Him as one of His disciples. I don't know what exactly Judas' problem was. That's what Scripture reveals to us, that Judas was counted among the twelve disciples. Which, by the way, is yet another case of where a word, disciple this time, must not be taken as always meaning the same thing. This is why you have to read your whole Bible, folks. For context. For context. This is what scripture reveals to us. Now I need you to concentrate. You ready, Brenda? You need, to, you need to go out and just hack it out? You can get up, go. I don't mind. I don't mind when it's emergencies, folks. You know? I just want a doctor's note after. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <coughs> the wide gate in Broadway. Now, concentrate. I need you to concentrate because I don't want anybody going outside of this building and accusing me of teaching something bogus. It's possible to say Jesus is the Son of God, or Jesus is Savior, or even Jesus is Lord, and not be saved because a human heart can, after believing these things to be true, still not accept and trust Him as personal Lord and Savior, that heart may still say, yes, these things are true, but He is not my Lord and Savior. That's true. There's accounts of all of that in the Bible, by the way. Did we not say, Lord, Lord, prophesy in Your name? Get away from me, I never knew you. Did not even the demons say, I know who you are, son of the most high God. You don't think these things are true? (laughs) That people can say these things? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? I believe. And God's saying, you believe that, but you're you're not saved because your heart is not changed. So it is possible to say these things and not be saved, because a human heart, after believing those things to be true, still not accept and trust him as personal Lord and Savior. That heart may still say, "In the deepest recesses of itself, where no one else can hear it, "Yes, I believe these things are true, but he's not my Lord and Savior." <clears throat> Here's an example. Mark 5, 7, and shouting with a loud voice, the demon-possessed man said, What business, I should say the demon in the demon-possessed man, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. That was a demon, a fallen angel. unsaved. I know who you are. The demon knew the facts. I guess facts aren't enough. I guess you can say anything. Some of you might be squirming a little in your seats because you still have a natural tendency to hang lazily on so-called key words and phrases in the Bible. You don't like it when the Spirit says, not all believing is the same, so just because you know the Greek word pistouou, oh, or you know the Greek word for faith pistis, or you know, you know the Greek word for that one. You know this little phrase, this day they believed in Him and this kind of a thing. Just because you know that stuff doesn't mean the context says it's all the same. Keep on reading. <clears throat> the Spirit is smashing those things in our souls and for a good reason. Go to Romans 10.6. Romans 10.6. Oh, So much easier, isn't it, just to sort of be lazy about all this? So much easier just to, you know, peddle a false gospel and tell everybody they're saved. Thanksgiving dinner is just so much more sublime, you know, just so much nicer, you know? So much nicer. I don't want to upset, you know, Aunt Myrtle. I don't want (laughs) to do that thing, right? (laughs) Right? I don't you know, because she gets all excited and her false teeth fall out and it gets messy. (laughs) Romans 10, 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. That would be works. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, there it is again, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Even Jesus said that, that which fills the heart comes out of the mouth, right? So you see, these are hard issues. This is not a novel concept for this congregation after a year of it. After reading a passage like this one, in light of all the scripture we've read, and there's so much more, by the way, on the topic of believing, what might we we rightly conclude up here on the board? The conclusion. Why has the concept of believing become, quote, difficult? Why would that happen? Why do people have such a problem with it? It's because people have perverted the concept of grace. I need you to tie those things together. If you don't get it right now, listen to the message again. It's in there. Tie these things together. What is it that you believe? Do you believe that you get a half grace or do you believe that God is great, totally gracious? Do you believe that, you got to, that, that God's only going to you know, give you a Savior, but not the, he's going to split that guy up, give you a Savior now and a Lord later? Or do you think he's going to give you all the one efficaciously, effectively? Do you think Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, is standing at the, 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 the gate of the sheepfold, and he's going to let some people climb over the side with a, with a little gospel? And another version of him, and then maybe later on, once they're in there, and they, they muck it up a little bit with other people in the church, somehow, whoa, well, I can't, now you're my Lord. Does that sound like God at all? Or does it sound like God to say, no, here's the, here's the gate, it's really narrow, the way that leads to it is really narrow, few will find it, but if you make it there and you make it through, I'll give you all of my son, and he will approve of you, and he will never let you go. To me, that's grace. Amen? That's that's literally grace. So all these little perversions, believing even, it's because grace itself has been perverted. When God presents His Son, He presents all of Him. When He gives His Son, He gives all of Him. This is the fullness of grace, John 1, 16-17. Go there, John 1, 16. John 1, 16. <clears throat> so this is a good swipe at it as a conclusion. Why are the problem with believing? Why, is it, why would anything like that be difficult? I believe because people want to hang their hats on certain words. It's easier to believe that everybody who says they believe actually believe and are saved. It's easier to believe that. It's easier to pervert an entire parable, the parable of the soils, that allows for people to say they believe then run away. And never come back, and never produce, never persist. Live the antithesis of what the Bible says will be given to you by grace, if you are truly saved. It's so much easier to do that. So let's just make, let's make the Word of God fit into our own human sensibilities, because I really don't want to upset Aunt Myrtle. I just don't. Call me weak. Okay, John, one sixteen. Have you seen her? Just kidding. (laughs) For for his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Grace upon grace up here on the board. Just dwell on that. Grace upon grace. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. God doesn't shy out. or doesn't... Leave out grace. It's abundant grace. That's what the original says. It's abundant grace. So you either believe he's like that or you don't. <clears throat> grace upon grace means that God showers believers with grace. Saving them implies saving, him, saving them. You ready? From sin. Not from the lake of fire. That is a product of being saved from sin. That's why we're not supposed to scare little kids into salvation. What else do you do, though, because they can't understand depravity? We're not supposed to scare little kids into salvation by saying, if you don't believe this thing, you're going to burn. Or would you rather go to heaven and be with, uh, with me and mom later on? <laughs> what, are we, what are we saying? No, look. I've taught you this for over a year. Well, it's almost been over a year now. Close to a year now. What is it that God... Remember our little charts on perspective of sin, perspective of salve, or sanctification? It was God's perspective was salvation from sin. From the penalty of it. Where you go is not necessarily important. We know it's the lake of fire. But the main objective, the main concept of salvation, of soteriology and theology speak, is sin. If you never talk to somebody about sin, you're not talking about the gospel. You're just saying, hey, do you want to go to hell? Or do you want to go to heaven? Believe these things about this guy, Jesus, and you get to go. Oh, definitely, definitely, I believe, I believe. I don't want to go to I don't want to go to hell. Nothing's changed. That's a lie. Salvation from sin is the issue. From sin. Hmm. That's the problem. So grace upon grace means that God showers believers with grace. Saving them implies saving them from sin. And I'll quote Spurgeon here. If it were possible for sin to be forgiven, and yet for the sinner to live just as he lived before, he would not really be saved. Why would he say that? Because salvation means saved from the domination, the, the mastery, the sovereignty of sin. In other words, take me from this lordship and put me under this one. You get it? Take me from this lordship and put me under this one. You don't think God does that when he saves you? You think it's only a little bit of grace? You get to decide later on? No. How should we still live in it if we're dead to sin, says Paul. Read Romans 5 and 6 when you go home. That's a rhetorical question. If you're truly saved, you're you're dead to sin. It has no more... No more sovereignty over you. You've been saved totally from sin. You get it? Not just a free trip to heaven when you die or when we're raptured. You're saved from the the sovereignty of sin, the dominion of sin. You're plucked out and put under the Lordship the sovereignty, the dominion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be saved. From sin. That's why Spurgeon said what he said. <laughs> he said, if, you're, if, you, if you think you're saved and you can still, in other words, reside in this dominion, then you weren't saved, were you? What are you saved from? Because this is the dominion of sin. You actually technically weren't saved by your own admission. If Jesus isn't your Lord, then what are you saved from? You're not actually saved from the dominion of sin, are you? because that's still your Lord. So you either believe that God, by grace, efficacious grace, can pluck you from this dominion and put you in this one when you're saved, or you don't. Don't play games. And that's where the evidence comes in. That's what Jesus said. That's what John said. Even Paul said it. Hey, listen, if all your fruit... If this is your life, your lifestyle, you might have a problem. Because God says that if, if, by grace, if he's going to remove you from that domain to this one, then aren't you going to, isn't a tree going to bear fruit after its own kind? So says scripture. I didn't say it. And oh, 30, 60, and a hundredfold. So says the parable. You know, Jesus, is, you remember that one? Three different places, remember? Synoptic Gospels. (laughs) But that don't taste good. It don't taste good. Yeah, I know. It's like the Matrix, right? All I can think about is that guy. But the steak tastes so good here. I'll take the Matrix. Anybody? One? Lois? Did you say yes? Oh, it was Monica. I was like, wow, Lois. You rock That's all the Spirit's saying. Let's just be honest. Grace is grace. If, if you believe God can save you, then listen, it's not saving you from the lake of fire. It's saving you from the dominion of sin. He's saving you from sin. That's the faith that saves. So if that's what you know to be true, and you'd have to go against Scripture not to believe it, then you have to admit a person who has not been transferred from this dominion to this one is not saved doesn't matter what they say they believe because people can say anything as we've learned in scripture up here on the board there's a difference between a person who believes that God is able to swoop them into heaven and a person who understands and believes that his intention is to deliver them not just from hell but from sin itself do you see the difference? There's a massive difference, folks. But the first part, oh, God, God loves you so much. Just believe in this thing. It doesn't even matter if you denounce Christ later on, which I personally believe, scripturally based, is impossible. Impossible. How can you denounce the one who saved you if you're truly saved? There's nothing in the word of God that indicates that Ever. Ever you that new creature's new it adores the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ adores him. that's why when a person sins, that new creature has a contrite repentant heart doesn't like it. We all sin but the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is the unbeliever doesn't really not like it <laughs> there's no part of them that is repulsed by it. So there's a difference between a person who believes that God is able to swoop them to heaven and a person who understands and believes that his intention is to deliver them not just from hell, but from sin itself. This has been the gist of our four-part series on believing, my friends. What we find when we read Scripture as it plainly presents itself is something very freeing. That Jesus came to seek and to save. That the gate really is narrow, and the way really is narrow, that leads to life. That Jesus Christ, who made that statement, also stated, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Through me. doesn't say his offices. It says me. Who's Jesus Christ? Savior or Lord and Savior? King of kings? Lord of lords? Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He says, this is who I am. Make no mistake about it. My spirit recorded all these words of mine for a reason so that you would understand, so that you would be without excuse when it's your time to be judged. He doesn't want us to be sensible to our human flesh. He doesn't want us to be, oh, I should say sympathetic to our human sensibilities. He doesn't want that. Matter of fact, what did I teach you on Sunday? He's a stumbling block. Literally, a stumbling block. A rock of offense. So straight up, here it is, folks. He will be offensive. As I think Scott mentioned on Tuesday, this is what's going to happen to the so-called family that everybody idolizes nowadays. Just like that. Going to go right down the middle of them. That's why if you have a whole family that's truly saved, how blessed are you? Seriously, if you have a whole family, I mean everyone in your family that's totally saved, how blessed are you? I believe it's rare. that's offensive, isn't it? Oh, you bet. You bet. It's a heck of a lot less offensive for me to show up at a Thanksgiving and go, do you believe everybody? Yay. You're all going to heaven. I'm a pastor. I can pronounce those things. Oh, it sounds ridiculous, but people would prefer that. than I come in and go, what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? And if I was Jesus Christ, I'm not. You know what I'm saying. Jesus Christ came in and said, nope, never knew you. Nope, never knew you. Definitely knew you. Nope. That family's going to be all up in arms. They might try to stone him. You know, like they did in the old, in the books, right? In the ancient times. Because he was literally offensive. Him, me, he said. Me. See it? But through me. Oh, you don't see it because I have it up here. I can see it. I think I'm losing oxygen, so excuse me. I'm only at about 70%, which is about 50% better than Brenda. Poor thing. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the simplicity of the gospel that he wants us to believe and then teach in the world. Anything more complicated than that is a departure from his will. And that's where this whole idea of mental gymnastics comes in. You stop perverting grace to so-called accommodate the sensibilities of human flesh, things start getting really difficult. Why? Because the Word of God is meant to be read with consistency and congruity. And as soon as you stop mucking with grace, everything doesn't fit anymore. Nothing fits anymore. Now it becomes difficult. Why? Because we're trying to accommodate man. And Jesus Christ, the rock of offense, said, I'm not accommodating anybody. This is the simple truth. If my father saves you, he's going to save you. End of story. If he doesn't, you'll know it. In order to dismiss the plain words of Jesus Christ, one must concoct a system of theology that multiplies exponentially in complexity as it attempts to make things fit. The flip side is godliness, simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Him, me, he says, through me. I'm king of king, lord of lords, I'm savior. I'm, I came to seek and save. I want you guys with me for all of eternity. I love you. But the same love says, I'm not going to lie to you. The idea is that you're saved from sin, not from some place called hell. Oh, sure, you should fear it, because sin is nasty. Death, spiritual death, it's scary. You should fear the wrath of God. But I'm not going to lie to you, said Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. If it's not fundamentally simple, then it's bad fruit up here in the board. At the end of every errant theological path is incongruity. At the end of every attempt to make the gospel, quote, fit into man's estimation of it, there exists an abyss. Hmm. Proverbs 14.12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. From our previous lessons up here on the board, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, if you believe that God, by grace, will make you saved, then you must also believe that God, by grace, will make you subordinate to Christ. In other words, He's going to make you a new creature who the flesh is subordinate to this domain, the new creature is subordinate to this domain. The flesh goes in the grave, thank God. But we still have it. Who's going to free me from this body of death? So we get tempted by it. But we're to, as I've taught you in the past, maybe a couple years ago, where to identify with the new creature who's under the sovereignty of Christ. And if you don't have any of that, you have a problem. That's all Scripture says. Therefore, be careful what you believe, for not all believing is the same, or godly. One of the things the Spirit's been pointing out is there are a lot of people who say they believe, but then they have zero fruit. Like, literally. Or the parable says, they, you know, they fall on the rocky soil, things, or they get choked out, and then they run away, and they're, they're, they're gone. We call those apostates. They were never really saved. Huh. Here's the recurring principle the Spirit's been teaching us up here on the board. Believing in the Bible, just because the word believe or its derivative shows up in Scripture, does not mean all believing is the same. To the contrary, Scripture contextualizes different beliefs, of which two categories arise. Belief in Jesus Christ or some other belief, which is really unbelief in Him which might be just the facts of his offices only or something like that. Believing in his, you know, just that he was a person and believing in his offices, that's not the same as understanding your own depravity and you needing and understanding and humbly accepting him as Lord and Savior. That's totally different. As a point of review, go to John 8.43, and then I've got to pick a spot here. Pretty much out of time. See this is what happens. I said this was our last believing lesson. See? I'm only about a little over halfway through my notes here. As a point of review though, <coughs> excuse me. John 8:43, "Why do you not understand what I'm saying? What was the problem with the Pharisees? It's because you cannot hear my word." Up here on the board. We know from scripture Matthew 13:9 He who has ears, let him hear. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17, I believe. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, if you don't have ears, you're not going to hear. And this is what he was saying in verse 43. It's because you cannot hear my word. You don't have, quote, ears. It's impossible to believe something that results in godly faith if you can't first, quote, hear it. Look at verse 45. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. You believe something, but you don't believe me. John 8, 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you're not of God. So we conclude up here on the board. Not all believing is the same. Nowhere in the Bible does it state that all believing is godly. In fact, the Bible depicts man's heart as utterly deceitful. A lot of people tell themselves right now, this is, what do you think this is all about? you think I like getting up here sick, nonetheless, and telling people, hey, it's, it's, it, it's probable your own kids might not be saved. You think I don't know about that kind of stuff, or your parents, or your best friends, or maybe in some cases your own spouse. How the heck do I know? You think that's a pleasant lesson to speak? No, you know what it's called? It's called integrity. It's called love. That's the truth. And like I said at the beginning of class, you either trust I'm an under-shepherd or you don't. I know a good uh, church down the street has a woman with a, a rainbow flag out front. No, no takers? All right. That's good. <laughs> oh, that was a golf clap. Someone gave me a golf clap like that. Nowhere in the Bible does it state that all believing is godly. In fact... The Bible depicts man's heart as utterly deceitful. Martin Luther, the great reformer himself, had a lot to say on this topic of believing, faith, and persistence up here on the board. I'll just give you one of his quotes here from Sunday. God gives no one his grace that it may remain inactive and accomplish nothing good, but in order that it may bear interest, And by being publicly known and proved externally, draw everyone to God. As Christ says, quote, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 5.16. Reminds me of the parable right after the parable of of the soils. He said, all right, who gets a brand new lamp and puts it under the bed? Nobody. You put it right there in a the stand, right? And it shines bright. Same thing. Same person, same concept. If you're saved, you're a light. And people see it. I do not say that. That's what the word of God says. Martin Luther predates a lot of this contemporary little g gospel stuff. What a lot of people would call the gospel of grace in the last 50 years, maybe 100 years. This guy predated all of that. This is the guy that was so tore up, this monk, he was so tore up with the Catholic religion that he slammed this stuff on the door and said, this is all garbage. Where the heck is the church? Let's reform this thing, because I protest. Great reformer, Protestant religion. This is him. Same battle, same battle that I'm fighting today. Nobody wants real grace. Nobody wants the full gospel. Everybody wants a little gospel. Everybody wants a little J, Jesus, because they don't want to be offensive when Jesus Christ was the rock of offense. Nobody wants to offend their family. Why? Because that's my little idol, but it's my children. So, do you love them enough to tell them the truth? Oh, but we'll be divided. So? So what? What's more important? You getting them the truth or them not liking you because you stand up for Jesus Christ? Who's more important to you, your little family or Jesus Christ? Fair statement, right? A lot of people, a lot of, I don't know, I'm not picking on women. I know what happens with guys too. But mothers, you're awful. Those little kids are your idols. Little idols, and they grow up, and then they become, let's just say, the age of accountability. Say they're 20 years old, and they completely reject Jesus Christ. And you won't, out of love, actually confront them. Why? You're afraid what? What are you afraid of? That they're not going to like you anymore? Who do you like more, your kid or Jesus Christ? Who would you rather stand up to, your kid or Jesus Christ? These are not difficult, but that's the flesh. So let me just tell you this, folks, in a, in a voice that's almost completely shot now. All of these lessons, these so-called difficult lessons, they are so loving and so precious that you should all be just elated that you have a place to come to that will teach this kind of a thing to you consistently. I know it's not popular, but it's the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. free. All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.